0: I, uh, I went to an Acts 29 conference. If you don't know, we're an Acts 29 church. Acts 29 is a church planning network that is passionate about planting churches, and we are. Uh, so uh, you could pray that God would raise up some church planners for us. It was great meeting up with them yesterday and Friday night. The, um, um, there's a genuine Southeast Asian uh, kind of region for Acts 29 now, which is great. So Acts 29 in our region is Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Thailand. There's some new church planners for the very first time that are going through assessment in the Philippines. So uh, you should pray for them, people wanting to plant churches in the Philippines. I think there's a Thai Acts 29 church and best of all, there's a Myanmar Acts 29 church. So if you want to know about any of those, so you can pray for them. They're kind of in our network now. So a bunch of the talks that went out yesterday got translated into other languages uh, so that church planners in other regions who are meeting on this weekend as well could uh, could actually hear it and be blessed by it. But if you jump on the Acts 29 website, you can find out about those churches. And um, it's pretty exciting. It's really good to be part of something that's uh, way bigger than us. There's about 750 Acts 29 churches in, in the world. Well, welcome. I hope you're doing well. Nice to see some more faces. You got smashed over the last few weeks by COVID and floods and And all the rest. So, uh, by way of introduction, let me just recap a few things for you. We're in the Gospel of John. Uh, We're partway through John 6. And I want to clue you in on the story. If you go back to the beginning of John 6, you've got the story of a crowd that comes to Jesus. They're in the middle of nowhere. um, Gets to dinner time. They're all getting hungry. And Jesus stitches up Philip. He says, Where are we going to buy enough food to feed all these people? Philip doesn't know, even though he's a local, because there's just way too many people. Um, So uh, Jesus ends up multiplying uh, five loaves and two fish of a young boy uh, to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000 people. Now, the people at the end of that think, this is awesome. Jesus is going to be the new military king, so they want to put him, make him king by force, and he's just kind of going, no, we're not doing that. That's not how this whole show is going to work. So uh, he uh, sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He uh, dismisses the crowd and he takes off by himself. In the middle of the night, disciples are having a hard time getting across the Sea of Galilee. The wind's blowing. The waves are up a bit. Jesus just saunters on out over the top of the water, uh, bringing memories of uh, the Exodus, right, where where Moses um, um, was, was God's instrument for bringing manna for the people. And also God's instrument for parting the sea. But Jesus is better, right? Because he's not just bread. He is the bread of life. And he doesn't just go through water. He walks on water. They end up over the other side of um, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd eventually tracks them down. Uh, And they want him to provide more bread, uh, like Moses did. Moses did it every day for 40 years. So they find Jesus, can you provide us some more bread, and their focus is on actual bread. Um, when the purpose of the bread was to point to Him uh, in the feeding of the 5,000. And they have this conversation with Jesus, and this is what we looked at last week, where they're focused on the physical thing, and He's focused on bringing together the physical um, and, and the spiritual realities by saying that He actually is the bread of life. This was the last verse that we looked at last week in John six thirty three. Jesus says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then we're going to go on to the next bit in the uh, conversation. And uh, so if you've got Bibles there, I'd love for you to grab those and go to John chapter 6, verse 34. We, uh, we read from the ESV version. But you can read from another one if you want. Um, John 6, verse 34. So verse 33, just a reminder, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, one of the most famous uh, statements in the whole of scripture, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Today, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at a precarious position, a good father, a secure family. Let's kick right in. Have a look at verse 34 to 36. They want Jesus to give them this bread. And what Jesus does is Jesus goes full disclosure with them. He just goes, I am the bread of life. Uh, he, he isn't kind of bread uh, in the sense that Moses provided bread. He was, he's the bread that Moses and the manna was actually pointing to. And I want you to notice something in verse 35 there. Uh, Jesus says, I am. And this is the first of seven statements through the Gospel of John and they're I am statements. Does it ring a bell for you? You go right back to Exodus 3, the call of Moses. Uh, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, (laughs) what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am, sent me to you. (laughs) See that? It's amazing, right? Now, interestingly, um, if you go back to Jesus walking on the water, Jesus actually says to the disciples, uh, it is I, do not be afraid. Do you remember that, those who are here? Well, the, the bit, it is I, if you look in the Greek, actually means I am. The translators translate it, it is I. Um, well, what does I am mean? It means Jesus is God. He is the one who satisfies your hunger, quenches your thirst. You might remember the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, John 4. Um, You know, and not just in a spiritual way, though that is clearly the most significant. Jesus is the one, I want you to hear me say this this morning, he's the one you've been looking for. Jesus is the one you've been looking for. He's the one you need. Every pleasure you've ever sought, every desire you've ever had, your deep longings, the really deep longings, they all find their fulfillment in Him. And it begs the question, if Jesus is the bread of life, how do you get it? Well, that's a good question, especially in our day. Um, About, um, geez, it'd be 12, 18 months ago... um, my uh, my boys in the house and I, we, dis- we, we discovered that there was this $30 voucher for Uber Eats that you get for nothing, All right? And you just needed a different email address to get this $30 voucher for Uber Eats. So, it's like, you know, house of five boys, the thought that we could just do nothing except use your thumb a little bit and people would just bring you food and it wouldn't cost you anything. Like, that's a winner. Is anyone with me on that? So, that is just... Mostly guys put their hands up then, you know. It's like, yeah, it's a winner. And if you're a Sondergold, you're always out for a deal, right? So you just bring the stuff and we don't have to pay for it. Um, Is that that how we get this bread of life, you know, uber Jesus? You know, it's interesting, right? Uh, Some people take this approach to Jesus, don't they? They, um, they do nothing and just expect Him to bring the good stuff. But this actually isn't how it rolls. Verse 35 tells you how you get the bread. <laughs> you have to come to Him. You have to come to Him. Now, it's very simple. To come to someone means you have to leave the spot that you're in and go to their spot. That's how you come to someone. Um, you know, some of you might go, hang on, isn't, isn't, didn't Jesus come down from heaven? Wasn't he incarnated? Didn't he come to us? Didn't he do so much? And I go, yes, he did. He came down. He, he came so close. But you know what? You still have to come to him. You don't, you don't get the bread of life until you come to him. You have to move from where you are to where he is. And, you know, in a crowd this size, there's probably some people who haven't yet tasted the bread of life that life-giving thing inside of their soul, why haven't they tasted the bread of life? Because they haven't come to Him. (laughs) They haven't come to Him yet. You know, Jesus goes a long way, but He doesn't leave us with nothing to do because it's a relationship after all, right? He's a person, you know, and if you're in a relationship where one party is completely passive, that's a dysfunctional relationship. That's how it works. And it's not like we just sit, Where we are, and Jesus brings everything to us, we need to move. You know, I talked about this last week, that believing for Jesus is not just about sitting and intellectually agreeing with something. You need to trust. You need to trust too. And this is normal in every relationship. Every healthy relationship, people come to each other. They move from where they are to the other person, and that's how the relationship actually works. And if they stop doing that, the relationship gets weird. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That's how it works. Even more so with God. God has done so much for every single one of you. Do you believe it? But you have to come to Him. (laughs) You have to come to Him. Because what He has for you only comes through the pipe of relationship with Him. That's the only way you get the good stuff. Which brings us to the tragic part about this whole deal. Um, Some people, some people don't come to it. And you're meant to go, what? (laughs) What? What's the deal with that? You know, if if you don't think that underneath, you're probably just a little bit too used to being in in the Christian world, but you just go, like, really? Like someone has come that is the bread of life that gives life to the world and people don't come to him what on earth would be the reason why you wouldn't come to Jesus but I said to you that you've seen me and you do not believe you see they're in a very precarious position they're listening to Jesus they're hearing things but they aren't coming to him Life is on offer, and they don't have it. I mean, if you imagine being in a physical situation where someone's life was dependent on, on coming to someone, and they they wouldn't do it, what, what would you what would you say to him? It's like, don't be an don't be an idiot. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you come to him? You know, they're barking up the wrong tree. They think they want food, but what they re- want, what they really want, what they really need is Jesus. It's a crazy precarious position. Number two, a precarious position, a good father. Um, I want you to notice something about this passage, um, the remainder of the passage, and it's something I want to clear up before we head on. Um, you know, we'll finish on the goodness of God and what He's done for us, but I, I want to just focus for a minute. Like, What is the engine room? What is the engine room behind the goodness of what comes to us in Jesus? What's the engine room behind the goodness of what comes to us through Jesus? And I want to say to you something, it's very, very clear. The engine room behind the goodness that comes to us in Jesus is the Father. God the Father. Look at Verse 37 on the screen. Who's giving the people to Jesus? The Father. What's Jesus doing in verse 38? Well, he's doing the will of the, the Father. Um, in verse 39, uh, what's the will of the Father? That no one gets lost. Verse 40, <laughs> what's, the, what's another will of the Father? That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. This is amazing. this is a quite a stunning array of uh, of good things that the father is up to um, it's really good stuff and and I want to challenge you this morning maybe you do, but I wonder whether you think enough about the goodness of the father <laughs> do you you know sometimes we don't um, and I think. Um, I just want to zip through this. You know, It's weird thing about being a preacher sometimes you've got to talk a bit about what you're not saying before you talk about what you are saying. And so I'm just going to talk for a little bit about um, about something to do with uh, what, what kind of blocks us from seeing God as a good father. And I'll tell you, one blockage to seeing God as your father is personal, and it's your own father. It's your own father. Now, <laughs> this is a can of worms, isn't it? And, and some of you are kind of going, Peter, do you really want to go here? And I'm just going to crack the corner and let a couple of worms out. Maybe maybe we'll let a couple, but we'll just, we'll just let a couple out. Um, the bottom line is that while fathers, some fathers are good and provide us with helpful images of who God is as a father, many fathers can be a pretty big disappointment. True. And, you know, sometimes I've heard people say before, they go, how can I think of God as a father when my own father was such a loser, was such a bad father? And our own personal experience does get in the way. I mean, I got my hair cut this week. Um, Hold the applause. Um, It was a big deal. Um, I got my hair cut this week, and my hairdresser told me a bit of her story this week. Uh, She's probably in her early 30s, I thought. She's got three kids to two different fathers um she i i just did everything i could to encourage her she's a single mum now um and i just i just said you you're doing a great job you know she's not doing a perfect job but you're doing a great job but you know she talked about the men in her life and in particular uh, the last one who cheated on her after eight years of marriage uh, i i said sorry to her uh, that she'd been treated badly by men. Um, but, you know, as I was, I was writing this message, I just thought I was thinking about the kids too. Um, they won't know anything else. And uh, some of you know that kind of story. Some of you have stories that are worse than that with your own fathers. Um, I mean, I, I just kind of went, imagine, imagine being a little kid um, He grows up knowing that dad's not here anymore because he cheated on mum. You know, and and you know what, we're not even talking about the effects caused by fathers in the way that they parent, the harshness, um, the absence, dad just wasn't there, He's at work all the time, and when he was at home, he was still at work, Uh, the carelessness, some dads are uh, abusive in all forms, Um, you know, sometimes I think that we've settled in for fathers who are disappointed sometimes you just go well they're just disappointing um and um i I can understand that um here's the reality we we all bear the marks of imperfect fathers (laughs) to some degree or another um my children will bear the marks of an imperfect father they will bear those marks um it's understandable (laughs) If, if your understanding of your father is, gets in the way of you seeing God as a good dad. But I want to throw a couple of things out the yawning hole, the yawning personal hole here, just to help you a little bit with that. And here's, here's the first one. Um, you have more of an idea of what a good father is than you think. <laughs> okay? If, if you had a bad dad, don't kind of lock yourself in a corner and go, my dad was a loser and I have no idea what a good dad is. I, I think you have an idea. You've been messed with by your own dad but you actually have an idea because I've noticed a couple of things about people who have had bad dads um, and, and here's some things I've noticed. Even people who have had bad dads know what some bad fathering is. They can look at their own experience and go, a good dad wouldn't do that. that they still have some kind of an idea. They can point to the bits that are not good fathering. You know, it, it may be that because of your dad there's some things about fatherhood that you think are normal and they're not. But I would love to chat with you for five or ten minutes because you at least know at some level what a good dad wouldn't do because it was what your dad did. And here's the other thing that I think is a hope to you is um, (laughs) every dad is not a bad dad. And I bet you if you've got a bad dad, you've looked at other dads and the way that they've dealt with their kids and you've gone, I think that's what a good dad is. So on the one hand, you know (laughs) what's not being a good dad from your own experience and you're also able to observe the good things that happen around you from good dads and go, I think that's good fathering. That's the first thing I'm throwing at the hole. You, You have more of an idea of what a good father is than you think. I'm B. Every biblical metaphor used to describe God as a disappointment in some way. (laughs) All right? Every single one. You go ahead and you pick any metaphor where God says that he's like a particular person and tell me um, and and argue with me that there isn't a fallen example of that. And I'll just go, um, I'm just going to disagree with you on that, right? Because every single one. So let's just pick a few. Uh, Scriptures say that God's a king. Read 1 Chronicles, Second Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and they're mostly bad. They're mostly evil, all right? Um, you could go, well, Scripture's talk about advocates. And I just go, well, pretty much every advocate outside of God is corrupted and evil. You go, okay, well, let's go for shepherds, all right? Well, every shepherd is a fallen shepherd. So God's comparing himself to someone who's evil, someone who's fallen. What about servant? Well, there's bad ones of those too. Um, You know, living in a fallen world means that anyone who who God likens himself to will be a fallen example. And I want to say to you this morning, you're not trapped by having a bad example. Why? (laughs) Well, God's in the business of re-educating you. He's in the business of re-educating all of us. If you're a dad here is in the business of teaching you how to be a good dad. So, keep learning and keep growing in it. God is keen to teach dads how to be good dads and everyone who's had an imperfect dad, which is everyone in this room to one degree or another, He's keen to teach you what a good father does. And so, all is not lost in this thing. Even though there's no perfect example of you to look look to for what a good father is other than God. All is not lost because he wants to tell you who he is and how he rolls. That's the first objection, um, is a personal objection. Then the second one I just want to deal with quickly is a theological misunderstanding. Um, and and, and here's, here's a theological misunderstanding. In many corners of the church... Uh, and, and this is certainly the way I understood it as I was growing up. Uh, God the Father is the harsh one, and Jesus is the good guy. It's like some kind of spiritual kind of good cop, bad cop routine, right? And the Father's kind of the bad cop that kind of yells at you, and Jesus is the one that goes around doing th- good things and almost kind of sneaking around without the Father knowing and actually doing good things, well, John will have none of that in John's Gospel, in John chapter 6. It just isn't a thing. Uh, like, you just need to know that you have a good, loving Father. A number of years ago, I, uh, I travelled to Indonesia, and uh, uh, I was there for this meeting of uh, pastors from kind of the Southeast Asian region, and um, got up the next day and, and went to breakfast and uh, met these guys um, from the Philippines, these pastors from the Philippines. And um, there was about eight to ten pastors who were there. And uh, we got talking about stuff. Um, and uh, before long, a couple of dots started to join us. Like, oh, you're from Toowoomba, you? Yeah, 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 from Toowoomba. And uh, they knew a few pastors from Toowoomba. And, and then they started talking about this guy in Toowoomba and they just call him the father's love guy, right? And I'm just going, oh, that's interesting. And then they said, oh, look, we think his name's Rolly, which is my dad, right? And so I'm just going, are you serious? Like I'm in Indonesia talking to some Filipino pastors, and they're talking about this father's love guy called Rolly uh, that they've been listening to. And I'm kind of there, and I'm going, I'm pretty sure that's my dad, where they started talking about the father's love guy, Uh, And they listened and read the stuff that he recommended and um, because dad had actually had a really significant deep revelation of the father's love. In the early days of this church dad would come out and preach at this church and uh, I remember this day when we got home and um, the kids, I mean dad wasn't always like this, Um, he's here today, he's down the front here. (laughs) Um, Dad wasn't always like this, He, he wasn't he didn't have this revelation of God's love for years, for decades, right? And he, he'll tell you that himself. You can go and ask him later on. Um, anyway, I remember one Sunday he came out to the church when we were out at TCC and he preached and the kids came home and they said, "Granddad's amazing. Like, he just preached for 45 minutes without any notes. And, and I just said, you know why that is? That's all he talks about. He just talks about the Father's love all the time. That's what He does. Um, and, and it's been great to see. Um, and, and His sermons are way different in recent years to what they were. Uh, so a couple of days ago, I said to my dad, uh, I rang him up. I said, actually, uh, I texted him and asked him if he was around on the weekend. He rang me back, and uh, I, I said, Hey, listen, I'm just talking about God the Father and the Father's love. Do you reckon you could just give us five minutes on it? Now, that, that will be a miracle. Okay, if we get there, it, it will be a miracle, all right? But he's like, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, and so it's going to have nothing to do with John 6. I just, like my brief for dad is, like, there's a big red clock up there, dad, so you got five minutes, all right? And I'll gong you if I have to, okay? But you're just going to get five minutes from the Father's Love rolly guy, according to the Filipino pastors, telling you how good the father is. You ready for that? Yeah. Let's get into it.
1: Well, it's lovely to be amongst you. You look fairly friendly to me, so I'll be right. But I just want to share with you, very briefly, as as Peter said, and I'm not worried about the clock, I'm worried about my wife, because she's got the signal when the five <laughs> minutes is up. But uh, one of the, the wake-up calls, I don't know about you, it was 60 years ago the wake-up call came to the wonder of who Jesus was. But it was only... 26 years ago, when I was in Argentina, sat there for a prayer evangelism conference. And there uh, I heard the words of a preacher who in uh, amazing thing, they used to have this hall that held 2,000 for their prayer meetings. It got too small, so they took over the picture theatre. So I thought this would be an interesting prayer meeting. There were 5,000 at this prayer meeting in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And I never forget the words... That that preacher said, have you told God that you love him today? Have you told your wife, your spouse, that you love them today? Have you told your children today that you love them? And those words just burnt into my, my heart because that was a challenge to myself. It's not a mental ascent to, uh, or a set of beliefs it's like a storm that changes everything within you. This self-preoccupation is starting to get smashed with inside of you, even though I'd been in ministry all those years. Romans 5.5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is in you. We're called to live in the gift of love that he has given to us. And Isaiah 54, 10 says this, But my love for you will never fail. My love for you will never fail. Wow. And there back in Genesis, right in the very beginning of the pages of the Scriptures, let us make man in our image. And what is that image? It's the image of the Elohim, is a Hebrew word, which is plural, which means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are in such a love affair that they said, this is not enough. We want to add to this love affair, and we're going to produce Adam and Eve, and we're going to bring people into the bonds of the greatest love that the world could ever have. 1 John 4:8 says, God is love. He doesn't give love. He is love. And how beautiful that is. And Jesus came to reveal, just like Peter has already shared with you, he came to reveal him the dearest person in his life that he could ever talk about, and that's his dad. And you see that the Holy Spirit even comes and says, and the Holy Spirit will cry out from within you, Abba, Daddy. And the richness is of that intimacy and the richness of what it means to have a father. And I love the words of Brennan Manning when he put it this way. If you took all the love of all the fathers and mothers that ever lived and you put all that love together, that would be but a single drop in the ocean of a love that the Abba of Jesus has for you. I want you to think about that for a moment. Let me say it one more time. If you took all the love of all the fathers and mothers that ever lived, put them together, <laughs> that would be about a single drop in the ocean of love that the Abba of Jesus has for you. Do you know how much he loves you? It is profound. And uh, it was through these series I used to lecture in, in On the Father's Love, that Brennan Manning would say, you need at night time, when you lie down at night, to be able to say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba. Say it over and over at night as you go to sleep at night, Abba, I belong to you. We have already heard it from Peter. Jesus came to reveal the Father and his great love. And uh, Jesus has a f- Jesus was a father-centric person. And uh, so, as we as I finish these few moments, live your life in a love this week, like you're exactly who Jesus is thinks you are you are absolutely loved unconditionally by him you go out there and live like one who's loved unconditionally and my final little comment to you is this when your children ask you are you there yet what are you going to say what are you going to say
0: is that good well, you can get more of that after church, <laughs> all right? So go and hit him up, but be warned, like, uh, you, you, you take the cork out of that bottle and there's, there's a fair bit going to come your way. So if you, if you, and like in a really good way, so uh, if you, if you kind of are honest with yourself and just go, my revelation of uh, my understanding of God's uh, uh, fatherhood is, is weak, it's small, go and talk to uh, Raleigh alright, and, um, and let, him, let him bless you with that. Um, a precarious position, a good father, a, uh, a, theolog- a secure family. Let's just have a look at uh, verse 37 there. Um, look at this. Uh, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Uh, this, this is beautiful. Um, and what follows uh, this verse 37 is, this is kind of like the, the headline verse and then some other things follow this verse to just kind of re, re, reiterate it. Uh, what is this? What, what's going on here? Before we kind of kick into the next part of this verse, what, what's this coming to Jesus? Um, well, in one sense, God bringing people to Jesus is a gift to His Son. <laughs> and you know something? When, when, when the Father brings you to His Son... The sun likes it. Do you believe that? Because there's, there's probably a bunch of you who just go, I'm pretty sure I'm the wooden spoon prize. Right? I'm pretty sure I'm the wooden spoon prize, but I want to say to you, not on your life. Uh, Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. <laughs> great joy. Uh, you, you need to see here... The Father gives you to the Son. That's what He does. Um, and, and what is that? What is this kind of giving to the Son? You know what I think it is? I think this is the lived experience of our adoption. It is God, in the moment, bringing us into His family. Look at this section from earlier on. Many of you are here when we went through John chapter 1. He came to His own, Jesus, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? This is what the Father bringing us to Jesus is. It's actually our adoption into his family. It's the actual real process of us becoming one of his kids. And this is Ephesians 1, right? Many of you know Ephesians chapter 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption. Adoption. He he brought us to His Son to be in His family. And you know know what's true of those who have been brought to the Son, those who have been adopted in? They never get kicked out ever see that yeah and whoever comes to me i will never cast out this is like awesome (laughs) they will never be lost here's here's what it here's what it means once you're in you're in (laughs) all right once you're in you're in And then Jesus goes on to say this a number of times. Have a look on the screen now. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me i will never cast out. They're never going to get kicked out. Verse 39, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He's given me, but raise it up at the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Can you see the pattern? Now, some of you are sitting there... (laughs) And you're kind of thinking, is he, is he preaching once saved, always saved? Is that, is that what he's doing right now? Well, yes and no. <laughs> okay? Which is usually the answer to most of the questions I ask. Yes and no. And I'm going to start with no and then move on to yes. Let me start with no. I want to start by being clear about the fact that once saved, always saved is not a biblical phrase. It's a biblical idea, it's a biblical concept, as long as you describe it rightly. Now, sometimes what actually happens when people talk about once saved, always saved, they talk about it, I think, in a way that um, is not entirely uh, fitting with the way the Scripture talks about it. Because they talk about it in in a judicial sense. It's like, I had a moment where I uh, asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins, now I can take my foot off the gas because I'm in. And they go passive. <laughs> Is this what I'm saying? No, it's not what I'm saying. Now let me tell you yes, the yes bit, because some of you are just going, "Oh man, it's uh, I've read the elders' affirmation of faith of this church, and it's it on thin ice right now." Well, you know, you know the way that I would say it. I I wouldn't articulate it using judicial categories. I would articulate it using family or familial, familial categories, all right? Here's how I would say it. Once a member of God's family, always a member of God's family, always. You know, push me and say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Absolutely, but I'd prefer to cash it out, as I think John does here in the context of uh, being covenantally connected to God relationally you know i want you to hear this today uh, god is faithful he's absolutely faithful when he adopted you in you need to hear this when when god adopted you into his family if you're in he didn't reserve the right to unadopt you he just didn't he didn't reserve the right to unadopt you uh, it, there was no caveat. It's like I could reverse this at some point in time. Uh, I mean, think of it this way. Um, this is a hypothetical situation. Uh, Sondagel household, uh, 7.15 on a weekday morning, there's not enough honey for everyone to have honey on their breakfast. It's a problem, right? But it's cool, right? Because there's a couple of boys who, um, who got up early and they're just going to get... Get into that honey before the other two get up, all right? So they get up, they clean the thing out. It looks like a dog's been passed. The thing is so clean. The uh, the honey the honey jar, uh, hypothetical, um, <laughs> and uh, the other two boys roll out of bed and they get out into the kitchen. Discover the honey jar is empty, completely empty, cleaned out, and an argument starts to happen between the. The, um, the boys, the you know, two on one side, two on the other. And all of a sudden, there's just a mellow in the middle of the kitchen. The boys are just laying into each other. They're punching each other in the head. They're on the ground. Ange and I come out. Uh, it's like, what on earth is going on in the kitchen here? Um, we, uh, we split everyone up. And then, about um, 20 minutes later, just before school time, um. We sit the the boys down, everyone's calmed down a bit, and um, we we say to them, right, that was disgraceful. The way that you acted was disgraceful. Uh, It's not how our family acts, so until further notice, you're not in it. You're not in our family anymore, it's done. Here's the shed keys. Go and sort yourself out. Now, if that actually happened you'd go, well, that's weird, wouldn't it? That's a weird family. That's a weird family that you can can get, you can have this argument, you can have this fight, and then the parent comes out and says, I'm sorry, you're not in it anymore. It's a dysfunctional family. And, you know, sadly, some of you have been in families where some of that kind of stuff has happened, where someone's come out and they've just gone, because you did that, you're on the outer now. And I just want to let you know, if you've been in a family like that, that's not normal. In terms of the way that God designed it to be, that is not normal. That's actually dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. You know, if you only think... I I do think you can look at once saved, always saved in a judicial sense, but if you only look at it that way, I think it's a very poor way of looking at it. But if you look at it in a familial sense, in a family sense, it makes all kinds of sense. And you know what's really cool about this is the security that the father provides by saying, once you're in, you're always in and you're never out. That's exactly what you need to grow up. That's exactly what you need to be everything that God's made you to be. You know, a, a parent who constantly threatens their child with being kicked out of the family, a parent who uses fear to control their kids, their fear of exclusion and abandonment, are those the, the makings of a well adjusted child? No way. No way. Some of you have heard that, right? Um, just remember, you could be out of the family tomorrow. Don't don't put a foot wrong to a six year old. One more mistake. And you're gonna have to find somewhere else to live. And some of you still bear the scars of that. There's a lot of you, thanks to the Lord, who have had pretty good families. And when I talk about that stuff, you just get that that is not gonna be a good context for people to grow in. <laughs> you know, there's there's a whole Bunch of research out there. Some of you know about it, and attachment theory, which um, which talks about the uh, the impact that the relationship between a young child and a primary caregiver has on the way that they do relationships later on in life. You know, and that's that's a thing. And and fear has weird ways of shaping people. <laughs> Who knows that? It just does, right? You know, relational instability doesn't enable children to grow into the people they're made to be. It just doesn't. And I want to say to you this morning that if you had instability in your relationship with God, that wouldn't allow you to grow into the person He's made you to be either. You see, God is a good father. And if you're in His family, you're in. And nothing's getting you out. You know why? The reason why nothing's getting you out is because it's the father that brought you in, it's the father that's going to keep you in. He's gonna look after you. He's gonna, he's gonna carry you through. You know what? What is your hope that you'll make it to the end? What is your hope that you won't be cast away? What is the hope, your hope that you won't be lost? It's the fact that we see here in John 6 that the Father and the Son are gonna to see to it that you make it. And you should just go like that. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. There's a divine dimension to it. It's not, just get up tomorrow and you just go, oh man, I'm concerned about how hard I can hang on to God today. Well, you should hang on to Him and you should cling to Him. The Scriptures say that. But you know what? When you can't, when you don't, He keeps hanging on to you. You know, we, um, our kids are older now, but you know, many parents have had this situation. You've got these young kids that are like cut snakes, Right? And you get to the edge of a really busy road, maybe a double lane on each direction. And, and, um, and, and it's like, okay, the girls had four boys and Angie and I got four hands. So, all right, everyone, grab a hand. You know, and I don't know how many times we walked across roads with our kids and about halfway across, the hand just went limp. All right? It just, just goes limp. And you're just like, okay... That makes no sense because we're actually right at the most dangerous point in the whole journey and you've just gone limp on me. All right? What did Ange and I do? Well, it, we grip tighter. <laughs> That's what happened. We grip tighter. And you know, the who who gets, who gets a to go boys across the road, their parents, holding their hands tightly, who's going to get you through? The father and the son. And it's like, is that all? It's like, Seriously, would you want anyone else? You know they got some serious talent. You know, and you you might go, well, I'm I'm pretty ordinary. It's like, well, they're pretty super ordinary, uh, extraordinary. Um, you know, it's it's not your grip on him which makes a difference; it's his grip on you. And I want you to I want you to hear me today. Uh, he will see to it that you make it. <laughs> he will see to it that you make it. I want you to hear this. Uh, this is a. Uh, if you if you don't remember anything else, remember these five words Jesus will not lose you yeah yeah Jesus will not lose you.